SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. I love gold so much that I even lost my genitalia in an unfortunate smelting accident. Hence the name, Gold Member. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is Thrasher. Hello, mate. So this bear comes in, right, and he goes to talk about the bounty. He sees a bit of Randy Bird, eh? Oh. I like gold, okay? Well, that's terrible. That sounds like David Lynch. Uh, this time around... <laughs> Although David Lynch is gold member, that sounds like something he might do. I, I think so. Um... There, yeah. Any, anyway, we're as you could tell from our sloppy intro, we are wrapping up our look at the Austin Powers trilogy for Austin Powers Gold Member. Uh, listeners, fun fact: um, last uh, week we tried to record this episode three different times in technical difficulties with because um, I guess the internet I have out here in uh, near Gresham, Oregon, is being run by goats, so it's not working so well. But now it seems to be working better. So we'll see. It shows you that. Um, what paying $80 a month in the internet does for your internet speeds. So, so those goats are not the greatest of all time. They're not the greatest. They're not, they're not organic. They're not free range. Um, but yeah, this movie came out in 2002, three years after the uh, second one. And I found this pretty interesting. So um, the year that uh, Austin Powers' Spy Who Shagged Me came out, in 1999, it was number four in the box office. Austin Powers' gold member made more money, but it was lower in the box office for the year, for 2002. Didn't uh, Attack the Clones come out that year? It did, so did Lord of the Rings The Two Towers, and so did the juggernaut uh, Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man film. Oh, wow, yeah, it had a lot of competition. My Big Fat Greek Wedding made more than uh, Austin Powers and gold member. So did, surprisingly, the M. Night Shyamalan movie Signs. Huh. With Mel Gibson, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I mean, I like Mel Gibson, but I mean the M. Night Shyamalan, I think he's a bit played out. But I haven't seen his latest movies. I've heard his latest stuff is better. Well, if, if Glass turns out to be the movie that unifies all his other movies, they will then all count as sequels to each other so we can cover them. Yeah, because the, um, what was that one called? Manic or, oh, I don't know, Split, right? That's the one that has tie-ins. That's one of the James McAvoy. Did you see that one? I heard that was good. Yeah, that's the one that... the Well, it's... Alright, I think the premise is idiotic. Okay. The performances are amazing. The performances are what make that movie. No, James McAvoy is, is really good, and he's been in something I've wanted to talk about on the show for a long time. He was the uh, one of the leads in the Children of Dune miniseries. Oh, that's right. As a, as a young man, as a Paul Atreides' son, Leto. I think it's Leto, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yep, Leto. I, I was trying to think the number after it, but that doesn't really matter. Okay, Austin Powers, Gold Member. It's the same, you know, people doing it. Jay Roach is the director. 
Mike Myers, Michael McCullers doing the screenplay. Um, starring Beyonce. Big deal there. Um, otherwise, you know, I got mainly the, a lot of the same actors. Michael Caine, notably, is Austin Powers' father. Music again by George S. Clinton, cinematography Peter Deming, edited by Greg Hayden, John Pohl. And uh, yeah, off a budget of $63 million, this made $296 million. Um, looks like that's worldwide gross. And when you compare that to the, uh, the second movie, you know the budgets just keep going up and up. This one, uh, Goldmember, cost about twice as much as uh, the first... Um, or as the second movie in the series. But I think that's because the salaries probably went up for Mike Myers and Jay Roach. And Beyonce certainly. I mean, her, her career has only been on an upward trajectory, and she was only about halfway to where she is now at this point. And that, uh, that's still... Yeah, but like around that time, you know, she did a lot of acting, and, and she hasn't done that so much lately as far as I know, but she, you know, but remember, she did this. She was the female lead in the Steve Martin Pink Panther um I was going to say remake, but that's not right. Um, you know, the sort of reboot. And um, and so forth. But yeah, I think... So So this movie... Uh, the, the opening of it, I think, is genius, and I don't think it ever gets better than the opening. Yeah, uh, the opening could have been its own movie. Yeah, this, this movie opens... So this movie opens as a parody of itself, where we get... We basically get a super fast version of an Austin Powers movie, but with Tom Cruise as Austin Powers, uh, Kevin Spacey as Doctor Evil, Danny um, DeVito as Mini Me. Oh God, Danny! De and his <laughs> his great. introduction. I release Mini Me. He just comes out there with a Tommy gun. I'm gonna kill you, you bastards. Yeah. And it's... and uh, John Travolta as Goldmember, the part he was born to play. And then you have Steven Spielberg in there. It's who does backflips as he goes off. It's yeah, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, because then we, we, we reveal that this is, in fact, the set of a movie based on Austin Powers' exploits being directed by Steven Spielberg. And right. It's, I, I, can I say, I'm a sucker for Spielberg playing himself. He doesn't do it that often. No, I mean, he, he does it mainly in things he did, like Tiny Toons. That's true. And uh, you're, you're right. He did um, in Tiny Toons, and I'm also thinking, you know, he he pops up for like a split second in Blues Brothers and Gremlins, but he's not as himself. He's just someone in the background. Kind of like when George Lucas is in the background of that one uh, scene in uh, the amusement park in Beverly Hills Cop Three. Uh, oh yeah, I mean that they have a lot of close-ups to him. Or he's in heavy makeup in Attack in or no in Revenge of the Sith, uh, and his character's name is Papa Noidia. But you don't know that from the movie. You only know that if you read the supplemental books. And they gave him no dialogue, which is unfortunate. Yeah, so, but th this opening, this self-parody opening is so good and builds so much comedic momentum, it's very easy to forgive, this, to forgive or, or overlook this movie's flaws. Right. So when, when I saw this uh, in the theaters with the uh, girl I was dating at the time, and we went to one theater... And the uh, the film um, caught on fire in the projector, so we had to go to a different theater. <laughs> and that happened quite a few, probably, probably three or four times in 
uh, going to movie theaters in Georgia, I've never had it since, of course, now that the film is digital, you can have problems that keep the movie from starting, but it's not going to catch on fire, uh, or not as likely to. But have you ever seen that in a the theater? That's a pretty glorious experience. Uh, I've never been in a theater when a projector has caught on fire. I have been in a theater twice where the film broke. I guess that's what I mean. The film broke. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I don't mean catch on fire. But it looks like it's burning, sort of. Oh, yeah, although... And it gets distorted. And... Gorgeous, glorious... Like, it, it's, not, it's not a special effect. It's not intentional, but there's something I find hypnotically beautiful when a piece of film breaks like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's really something to see that go on. And um, in this, we mentioned last week uh, Austin Powers, uh, Spy Who Shagged Me, used time travel. In this movie, they do it again. Yeah, and it is it is so it only it only compounds the problems of adding time travel to this narrative. I mean, you could have. I don't see why there can't just be a vault full of cryogenically preserved spies. Because like, I love the idea. That this movie is going to link up with and parody uh, black exploitation films, which unfortunately yes. it barely does. Right. That's mainly done through Beyonce's character, uh, Foxy Cleopatra, which that sounds like a first draft name to me. It does, but I'll give I'll give Beyonce credit. I think as Foxy Cleopatra, she has some sass to the character and with the the afro and the attitude. I think there's more going on there than Heather Graham in the second movie. No, no, she's she's definitely getting it her all. She definitely understands where the character is coming from, but and, and you know uh, uh, the name Foxy Cleopatra. It's a, it's you know a tribute to Foxy Foxy Brown, Cleopatra Jones. Yeah, but like they they should have they should have because like Austin Powers as a name. If you didn't know what this movie was, and someone said, "Oh, there's a Brit- a spy mo- a British spy movie about a guy named Austin Powers," that sounds like a credible name for a British spy. Um... Foxy Cleopatra sounds like a lazy parody name. They should have put some extra effort into it. Like it should, like her her name should have been like Nefertiti's or something or other. Like so that people yeah, it's know a bit, would go, it's, oh, Cleopatra Jones reference. I get it. Yeah, it's a bit too obvious. I agree. And uh, and so oh, even then, like, yeah, putting putting time travel in a car and then not doing a Back to the Future parody. That's a bit strange. Not only that, you get um, an extended sequence, a flashback, of when Austin Powers and Dr. Evil were younger. Yeah, this is, this is the film where they decide to give, uh, to give, because we already know that Dr. Evil had some parental issues, but we give Austin some parental issues, because after, after, you know, he, the opening credit sequence where he shows the people on the set of its movie how it's done, and they kind of, on a Hollywood backlot, recreate the first movie's opening title sequence, we come to Austin Powers swinging bachelor pad, uh, and he has his, he's singing a song, he's singing a song called Daddy Wasn't There. Yeah. Which is really kind of a sad song if you listen to it by itself. In the movie, they only play a small part of it. Well, the only, the only line that is specifically funny is when, uh, you know, when, when I was, when I was first baptized, when I was circumcised, Daddy wasn't there, and like the circumcision line is the only one that is somewhat hilarious. There's some line about underwear I seem to recall. Um, that's okay, but yeah, it, it's really sort of it, it does build a character moment for Austin, and I think the stuff with him and his father, who's played by Michael Caine, is pretty good. However, the, the stuff where you get the young Austin and the young Doctor Evil, 
you have kids playing them, and uh, I think especially the one doing Doctor Evil is pretty good. Well, this come this comes after like five years of douchebags doing Austin Powers impersonations unbidden. <sighs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. You could not. In fact, I remember um, growing up in Marietta, Georgia, for the most part. Uh, a local radio station launched and promoted. Um, they had. Not real celebrity endorsements, but, like, they're DJs doing shitty imitations of people. And so it was, like, 95, uh, I mean, 95.5 The Beat or something like that. And there was a terrible Austin Powers. Like, this is Austin Powers. Yeah, baby. 95.5 The Beat. Like, it's not even the real endorsement. Shagula. Yeah, right. It's like, uh. Oh, but well, I'm, uh, I'm Bella Lugosi. Listen to uh, 95.5 The Beat. But in in this in this intro where um, Austin, uh, so where Austin almost has sex uh, with uh, Japanese twins, despite the fact that their names aren't Japanese, but that's neither here nor there. I do like uh, we get a really quick cut of Austin Powers' list of things to do before I die. I'd like to read that list if you don't mind. Go for it. And some of these are crossed out, some of these aren't, but it includes become an international man of mystery, save <laughs> the world from certain death. Find true love from the first movie, I guess. Yeah. Go to outer space. Travel through time, backwards and forwards. <laughs> Be cryogenically frozen. Catch Dr. Evil in the first act. And threesome with Japanese twins, which he never gets a chance to cross out. Finally, the very bottom, earn daddy's respect. <laughs> I don't know, I love a good list joke, and I love that I love pointing out how improbable the events of the first two films are. Yeah, that's nice to see it uh, listed out like that. But, yeah, but you know, it, th things get, get on a roll pretty quickly, but uh, essentially we have, you know, we have Dr. Evil all the loose again, but we also are introduced uh, to a new villain, uh, the titular gold member, the uh, Johan Vandersmoot. Yeah, once again, played by Mike Myers, and, um, you know, Goldmember, obviously, is a takeoff on the, the third James Bond film, Goldfinger. Actually, you can call it the fourth film, if you count, Casino Royale, um, the comedy, is one of them. Um, did you know there was a lawsuit about that? About that particular, uh... Well, about, about those two James Bond movies, in particular, Sony released a box, I could probably cash in on this, actually. But I don't think it might be too late. But uh, Sony released a box set saying the complete James Bond box set. Oh, but, but it because doesn't it doesn't have Casino Royale or Never Say Never again, yeah. and and someone sued, uh, you know, suing Sony and the James Bond estate is idiotic. But they did it and they won. <laughs> However, the reward, if you claimed your damages, were not physical but digital copies of those movies, which is better than nothing. And of course, lacking in special features. Hmm. Still, that they won that, I thought was fascinating because it's pretty rare to get a box set with movies from different studios. Yeah, that would be. Well, I guess it would be it would be a logistical nightmare to secure the rights to those two films, especially given the bad blood that led to Never Say Never. <laughs> uh, yes. And in fact, they can only get Casino Royale made. After, um, oh, that one producer died, really. The one that had the Thunderball co-writing credits on the 
Uh, anyway, that's for another podcast. Alright, so, th- so this movie is overloaded with Mike Myers in multiple roles, and... That's right, yes, yes, that's what we're talking about. He's a gold member. How, how gross Fat Bastard ended up being by the end of the movie. I find I find gold member to be grosser, but in much more subtle ways. Uh, so he, like, he eats this molting golden skin flakes off his skin? Well, he, ha- he has, like, a skin condition, and his skin flakes off, and he has this... There, there's a name for it. It's not... It's not trichomoniasis but it's something similar where he's like he has a compulsion to eat the flakes as they come off but he oh, has yeah. who like gather up the flakes but then save them for him in these like yeah. cigarette cases like every, every shot of gold member seems to imply that something ten times more disgusting than what we're seeing is going on behind the scenes right and his um, you know his accent it's better than Swedish chef I guess but it just, I wish I, someone else would have played it. It just seems so, Mike Myers is like doing five roles in this film, it feels like. And I kind of want someone else to get a chance. Yeah, I'm actually honestly kind of shocked he's not also playing his father, although Michael Caine is a great get. I feel like in the intro, in the intro to this film, but also with Michael Caine, a lot of the humor is kind of based on, look what we get to do. <laughs> Yeah, also, I mean, we mentioned uh, there's that flashback scene where he's a kid. Originally, the plan was to kind of do what uh, you saw in some of the Jerry Lewis movies, where um, it would be the the uh, Mike Myers playing himself as a kid, where they'd superimpose his head over a little, per- over a little kid's body hmm. for both those roles, and that... Would not have worked, and in fact, uh, Mike Myers later did that in a brief scene in um, the Love Guru. Love Guru, and it looks fake as hell there. It would have looked even worse here. Um, so I'm glad they went with casting, uh, you know, twelve year olds or whatever it was. Yeah, I guess so. They really complicate the Austin Powers mythology. I can't believe I'm saying this. They complicate the the Austin Powers mythology by having it turn out that they, that Austin Powers and Doctor Evil have the same father, and that they went to school together. Yeah, and I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that makes it any better. I mean, this movie does feel overstuffed. Like they felt like this was going to be the last one. Although we'll talk about the status of Austin Powers four later. Well, you talk about it being overstuffed, but strangely, I find that sort of counts in the film's favor. It's it's like the original Airplane. There's so much going on that if you di- that if you hated the joke you just heard, within thirty seconds there'll be another joke that you're bound to like better. Yeah, I mean that one one bit I really like is where they're in uh, in the disco tech and uh, Nathan Lane is there. Oh yeah, and, and I think that's a really fun scene where Nathan Lane just sort of camps it up and he is like moving his lips while Foxy Cleopatra is talking but you know they're trying to they're doing like a back-to-back thing to try and hide her identity initially and I think that's a fun little moment uh this is also the movie with the the mole joke with Fred Savage as number three Oh yeah, where he's got he's got that mole, and that's all anyone can talk about whenever he's on screen. Well, that's that's one of those jokes where it's kind of funny the first time, then the a very unfunny, but then they sustain it so long it becomes the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, I dated someone in college that would do that to um, point out my moles and do that constantly, and it got really old really fast. Oh yeah, no, that's that's the kind of thing that works great in a movie. In real life, it's awful. Yeah. 
Um, we were touching on uh, the. We're kind of jumping around here at the plot, but you have a lot going on and with the the timeline and stuff. Well, well, if you've seen a Bond movie, you know what the plot is. Doctor Evil yes. has another Doomsday weapon, thanks to help from Goldmember, and he's going to use it to hold the world hostage. Right, and um, but we mentioned you know Michael Caine in here is a nice touch because. He was a sex symbol as a younger man. He was in movies like uh, Alfie, which in fact that, that famous Burt Baccarat number, Alfie, is parodied in this movie. Um, and he did a trilogy of spy films that I think would be fun to cover someday. That were, um, oh, it's like the Something Brain... The... Uh, he played Harry Palmer in the Ipcris file... Oh, yeah. And then there's actually five movies in that series, which I didn't realize. Um, one of which was a made-for-TV one, but yeah, so he... But those were done with um, one of the James Bond producers after he... Uh, Harry Saltzman, after he left the Cubby Broccoli, he sort of did his own spy movies with Michael Caine. And so he has he has a bit of a legacy in the spy world himself, so casting him, I think, is a smart choice. And, uh, It'd be fun to do. Uh, and... He classes up the film, but also I like his real British accent playing off of Mike Myers' fake British accent. I particularly love the scene where they're talking and they start using so much British slang that the film becomes subtitled, but their accents gradually become so over the top that not even the subtitles can keep track of what they're talking about. Right. And, um, in fact, the DVD for this had a pretty good special feature where they talk about, they translate the Cockney slain and go into the history of it. And I wouldn't have minded uh, more of that in the film. You, you could have certainly gotten more knowledge about it. It's strange, but as many running gags as this movie tries to establish, and with how, how many gags there's to pack into every scene, I am kind of shocked that they don't do that. Although... I guess they saved all their other their, all their other subtitle gags for when Austin and Cleopatra, uh, Fox and Cleopatra, go to Japan. Yeah, they go to Japan, and you have this um, subtitle joke. And at one point, I think they say "Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto." Yeah, yeah, they throw that in there because, like the 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 gag the gag is is that when they when they're talking to this uh, Japanese robotics expert who's in this just this pristine gleaming white office, the subtitles are in white, so we can only ever see part of the subtitles, but the characters are only aware of the words that have been translated in the subtitles. So there's all these jokes based around the first or last word being left off of a sentence, uh, or where like furniture is moved in the scene and that reveals new words in the in the translation. Uh, you you can kind of see the jokes coming, but they make such a meal out of them I don't mind. You know, such such as here, eat this shit. And he's, you know, Austin's horrified, and then Foxy Cleopatra, like, pushes a chair in front of the subtitles, eat this shiitake. Shiitake, yeah. yeah. And, um, I, you know, I think that's clever, and I think if anyone who's watched a lot of, you know, foreign uh, media, whether it's video games or films or cartoons, you know, there's the big debate, or at one time it was a big deal, is it yellow subtitles or white subtitles, and you have those scenes where you can't read them. So it's based on a real thing. I think that's good. On the other hand, uh, unfortunately, Fat Bastard and Biddy Bee come back. And it just seems like retreads of uh, jokes from the uh, second film. Well, the only, the only <sighs> Fat Bastard I find that really works is when he has his, like, kung fu scene. And he specifically makes reference to how he has wire work guys who we can see whenever he does fancy kung fu backflips and flying through the air. 
Yes, and keep in mind this was the age of uh, the Matrix and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and all that, so that kind of wire work was in vogue. Um, and that stuff's okay, but it's, um, I, I don't know what it is, man. Like this, I like this movie a lot at the time, but the more I think about it, what I liked about it was the first ten minutes of the last five. It is strange, and I like I I enjoy watching this film. I hate talking about it. Like the it's strangely enough, like the, the the things that I like about it the most are the most disposable bits. Like to the point where I think my favorite thing is that Austin Powers keeps setting up these horrible vaudeville style puns, and then mugs to the camera like like he's on like he's on stage and he's trying to play to the audience. Yeah. It's like, this is the third movie, you've seen the other two, this is a joke, get it? I'm going to have the pauses so you laugh at me. Well, it's one of those things where it's, it's not so much the story, it's, it's the telling. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah. I like outmoded forms of humor and joke construction. For some reason, like, one of my, one of my dream jobs is to be the guy in an ill-fitting suit and a terrible hat who tells bad jokes at a burlesque club. I would love to be that guy. And that also makes me think of the part from the uh, computer game Leisure Suit Larry where you go to the stand-up club and it's just every single hack joke you can think of. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think part of what it is is it does seem like, more so than the second film, the people making this film seem to be having a good time. I agree. You know, they there's a... I think it's better pacing than the second film. Uh, the Spy You Shagged Me. I think you... Um, even though Goldmember is uh, gross and, and kind of weird, uh, he's at least different enough. You know, he's not like Mini-Me where it's literally a clone of a character. He's not... He, he's his own kind of creepy thing, as, as you mentioned. Um, there is also a uh, fun little, from the point of the view of the music, where they're in the sort of disco club roller skating around, there's a fun sort of medley of 70s hits where they change some of the lyrics to be about Goldmember. Oh, yes. It's like, shake your booty and that's the way I like it. And um, get down tonight, all these all these things. And I, I thought that was sort of a fun sequence and you have it where Goldmember's legs go above his head in these ridiculous ways. I, actually, I will say, I like, I like Goldmember's version of hospitality. Would you care for a smoke and a pancake? A burger and a, uh, a bong and a blintz? A pipe and a waffle? Yeah, it's just these ridiculous combinations that in that accent... Like, I feel like they had to have had props for seven more of those. I think so, and it, you know, I don't know if it... Like, that sounds like something that was improvised or, or something, but they, it all seems to work. Uh, you also, I think, was it at the beginning works the Britney Spears bit? Oh, well, yeah, that is part of the beginning, and it turns out Britney uh. Spears is a fembot, and they do the whole machine gun bra... And she was going through. She was doing what she, her persona was very bad girl at the time, uh, and that's kind of what they're playing to. It's 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 dated if you've seen Britney Spears now, but that's kind of the nature of pop music. It is, and that that made me like mad in the theater when I saw that because like the, it was just clearly you're promoting another uh, another single on the soundtrack, and you know at least with the uh, Austin Powers um, Spy Who Shagged Me, you had the Madonna Beautiful Stranger thing. Which sounded kind of 60s and groovy, but the Britney Spears song "Boys" uh, doesn't sound doesn't fit in the Austin Powers milieu at all. No, very true. I guess that would that would only fit if they had introduced a female villain who Myers would also play. 
Yes. Or even have Britney Spears as the villain. Maybe that would be interesting. I don't Actually, know. Actually, Britney Spears as an assassin would be pretty cool. Uh-huh. Because Lady Gaga did it in um, <laughs> Machete 2, whatever that one's called. <laughs> Machete Kills. Kills, yeah, that was a good one. Um, I really I really hope Machete Kills Again in Space becomes a real film. Yeah, you know, maybe. They, they really want to make that movie, and Robert Rodriguez knows how to make movies on the cheap, if nothing else. Um, yeah, this, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think if this movie has any other like highlight or, or low light for me. Actually, something that was strange. So in the second film, we didn't talk about this in the previous episode, but there was a long-running gag where Austin is in a tent, backlit, and oh yes, yes, these weird right. shadow gags. I did not laugh or crack a smile once. They do that same thing in this movie where it's Austin behind a curtain with Mini Me. For some reason, it's so much funnier with him and Mini-Me. I think you have, like, the um, the size difference, and they push it further. There's also a lot of good penis jokes. Penises are hilarious. They are. They're very funny. In fact, that reminds me of, of something somewhat unrelated, where uh, in high school on the Disney Channel I was watching, they were playing Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, and, yeah. and they cut out a lot of things, but they did not cut out the shadow gag where um, Robin Hood is talking about Maid Marian, and it looks like an erection because the sword is out of the sheath. Yeah. I, that I joke that they kept, but the they, they cut... demanded they keep that in. Right. It's, um, it was really something. I was kind of surprised. But back to Austin Not Powers. i my schmeckle joke out of the movie. <laughs> I just wanted to do one more movie, but at this age, I don't think that's going to happen. But he is doing a revised, cut-down version of... His uh, Young Frankenstein musical, which didn't do well on Broadway, but he's redoing it for the West End, huh. and it's supposed to be a lot better. Cool. Yeah, and, and look, I, I guess the more you know, it's funny because I, I did like this movie. It, it it passed the minimum benchmark of a comedy for me, where I laughed pretty consistently throughout. But the more I think about it, the more I wish it was just an Austin Powers movie done. With the with the people from the parody in the opening to the point where like how awesome would that have been if all the posters for Goldmember were the people from the parody? What if Tom Cruise ah, had a poster for a movie yeah. didn't star in? How, right. how great of a mind fuck would that have been for the audience? I, I think that really would have been. Uh, I think you're onto something there. That would have been something great. Um, the, the, oh, you know what? The, what it is that I like is that they try to give these characters who clearly are never going to change an arc. With the whole with the whole is, issues with their father Michael Caine, what I, the character that does get an arc that does work is Seth Green as Scott Evil, who gradually becomes more yeah. and more his father's son until at the end of the movie he's completely bald and he's taken over the evil organization. Yeah, I think that was an interesting uh, twist at the end. It's something I wasn't expecting. But also at the end, you get it where, again, you see it's a movie and a movie, and this is where you see John Travolta as Goldmember. Because oh, they yeah, saved that be just for the end clip. The studio lot. Right. Oh, and that also, yeah, he, again, the part he was born to play. He, when, when Travolta is allowed to camp it up or required to camp it up, he gets so much joy out of the role, and that makes the role so much more interesting for the audience. Well, and Fat, and Fat Bastard is a better gold member than Mike Myers is. Mm. Even though he's just there for like 30 seconds. But I, I think you're right. It's, you hit on it uh, perfectly. 
the glee he has with it. The um, he does even though Travolta can do comedy. If he does do comedy, usually it's in movies that aren't very good, like Look Who's Talking or something. Like he doesn't get a chance to do a, an outright silly film. Well, he's even better. He's even better at the gold member voice. Than Mike Myers. Is. Yes. Yeah. It's. I don't know what it is, but. It seems uh, it seems to work. So yeah, the only the only thing that I think they leave us on during the credits is there's a bit where Britney Spears is talking to to Mini Me, who I guess is consulting on the film, and something like you know like like he whispers that his nickname is the Tripod. Oh, there's this, there's this I, can't, I gotta admit I do like again penis jokes I think are great where like he reaches down you hear this this unzip thump and then he leans forward but something's holding up his weight. Uh, and like that, that is a great bit of physical comedy. I wish there was more like that. Totally. Uh, I think we've done a good job discussing this film. Uh, do you give it sequel yes or sequel no? You know, it's funny. Going into this, I was going to give it sequel yes, but as as much as I enjoyed this movie, I find that the experience is kind of hollow. I'm going to give it a sequel no. We don't really need another one of these. Now, if another one happens, I'll probably watch it. But we don't need any more. Yeah, you know, I think um, I'm on the edge in this. I think I'll jump over and give it a sequel, yes. Just because I think it tries a good bit harder than Austin Powers' Bayou Shag Me. Uh, and there's enough unique things in here. It does feel a bit tired, but I like I like, I like the energy in that and, uh, and Michael Caine and so forth. And that just bumps it just barely over the line to a sequel, yes, for me. So before we do pitch a sequel, let's talk about Austin Powers 4. Because when this movie came out, they all said, oh, this is going to be the last one. And then this made so much money that immediately they said, oh, we're going to do Austin Powers 4. Well, but initially it, it was going to be an animated series, wasn't it? Uh, that was, uh, yeah, originally they said, oh, we're going to do it as an animated series for HBO. It was announced in the trades. Then for whatever reason, it never happened. Um, but Mike Myers has been trying to get a Austin Powers 4 going for, you know, probably since like 2004 or something like that, over almost 15 years at this point. Which shouldn't be hard to do as successful I, as this franchise is. I wouldn't think, and I think, you know, he's he's picky, he, um, he had some young children fairly recently with his new uh, wife, I think, um, so maybe there's that. He's seems to be kind of doing his... Uh, Jim Carrey kind of phase of his career, or sort of late Jim Carrey, where he sort of takes his time between his projects and oh, yeah. and kind of dilly dallies, um, which is which is you know if that's what you want to do, like good for you. You know you've earned it. You've worked really hard. But um, really, he what he has said has been the plot for Austin Powers Four has been very consistent over the past decade in that it will be Doctor Evil centric. What that means, I don't know. But he did make an appearance as Dr. Evil on Saturday Night Live a oh, year or two ago. Right. <coughs> yeah, that wasn't too long ago. No, and it was about, um, oh, I don't know, something that was like around the, the presidential elections or something like that. Well, it was, it was something, I feel like it was something about nuclear weapons and, and uh, North Korea was a part of it as well. Yeah, and something about an acronym, but it was it was pretty good, you know. And the audience went crazy for it. Well, you know, d despite despite some some huge missteps in his career, I do think Mike Myers is generally beloved by the audience. He is, and I think unlike a lot of Saturday Night Live alumni, 
you know, maybe with the exception of Eddie Murphy, um, Austin Powers, or not Austin Powers, Mike Myers, has written a lot of his own material. Well, he, he knows what he likes, he knows what he's good at, and he writes to those strengths. Right, and he creates original characters, and it's, um... And his output is not as much as, say, like, uh, Adam Sandler or something, but on the other hand, when it's especially when it's something he's in that he's written, um, you can tell it's really a labor of love, even if it's something as, as uh, horrific as The Love Guru, which I've only seen that movie once, I can't stand it, and one of my worst experiences in my life is I was stuck in a car with a co-worker, they were giving me a ride home, and uh, they proceeded... Her and her whole family talked for 30 minutes of how much they loved the Love Guru when I wanted to jump out of the moving car. Oh, wow. It was just... That, that's a film I've avoided, but maybe I should see <coughs> You should see it just to see what a waste of talent it is. <coughs> to get an idea of the sense of... For worse reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Justin Timberlake plays a, a uh, Quebecian... Um, He's like a hockey a, superstar. A hockey superstar called Jacques Lecoq. Um, it's, there's an extended joke where two elephants are having sex on a hockey rink. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, it just makes me mad just thinking about it. But what does not make me mad is pitching a sequel. <laughs> so uh, I have something in mind. If I was doing Austin Powers, I think, okay, so you've done the time travel theme twice. That's out. You cannot use that again, or at least not anytime soon. That's out of the picture. So what do you do? <coughs> I think you would have Austin Powers go against Dr. Evil and... Um, Mini-Me, of course you'd have to recast that because Vern Troyer's dead. But the idea is, Mini-Me for some reason has gained a lot of power in the political, un in the underworld. And uh, to fight Mini-Me, Austin says, you know, I, I need someone little. Another little person to fight him. So he, he signs up Warwick Davis, who plays like a Mini-Me of Austin Powers. But, <coughs> excuse me. Something gets wrong in the uh, in the miniature clone creation process, and half the time his miniature, the mini Austin, is charming and clever and debonair and a good spy, and the other half he is just um, completely. Uh, the other half he's like Basil Exposition because when the mixed when the clone is being made, Basil sneezes. And a, a drop of his snot drops into the mixture. And so you'd have an exciting spy sequence where they need him, uh, they need Minnie Austin to push the button or something. And then all of a sudden, something would switch in his brain. And he'd be starting to give a detailed 10-page history of the button and how it works and who invented it. Completely putting the scenes in their track. And it would be called Minnie Austin versus Minnie Me. Then it would be focusing, and it would be a good uh, opportunity to cast a lot of um, dwarf, dwarves as actors. It's so like you, you envision a role for Peter Dinklage in this film. Peter Dinklage? Uh, maybe that's who you'd recast Mini-Me as, come to think of it. But yeah, 
Peter Dinklage, you could have um, all sorts of possibilities. All right, well, my, uh, my pitch is sequel. I disagree with you. I think time travel is the only thing this series has going for it. So my okay. Austin, uh, Austin <coughs> is going to be uh, sent back in time because it turns out there was a gangster that was never caught, and they're going to send him back in time to catch this gangster. And when he travels back in time to Chicago in the 1930s, yeah. everything becomes black and white, and the whole thing becomes this weird untouchables early FBI drama type parody. So we'll still get those parody beats, but it's still Austin Powers being Austin, hitting on flappers and, and gangster malls and whatnot. Uh, but the gangster the gangster he's looking for, uh, because we need to have the, this type of name, is called uh, Big Roger Balls. That's his name, Big Roger Balls, also known as Big Balls, also known as The Balls. Well, when okay. all is said and done, when he finally gets this uh, gangster, uh, when he finally gets this gangster uh, captured, or, or, I guess, cornered. It turns out it's a time-traveling Mini-Me. So Mr. Big is Mini-Me, but in a gangster suit, who somehow runs this criminal enterprise without ever talking to anybody. Uh, there'll be a whole crazy fight. The building they're in uh, will be will blow up, uh, and, uh, and presumably they'll get buried alive. We then flash forward to the 1980s, where Geraldo is about to discover the secret of Big Balls' vault. And they open Big Balls' vault, and inside are Austin Powers and Mini-Me still fighting. And the fight continues through the 80s. Uh, and eventually, they do, he does end up bringing Mini-Me to justice. But I really... This this whole sequel exists just to get to that Geraldo joke. Hmm. Very good. And it'll be called Austin Powers in Hard Time. Ah, okay, so like a penis joke. One one could see it that way, yes. Very good. So we're going to go on to uh, what you're watching. I have been checking out, um, I saw the first episode of a new series from Matt Groening that's on Netflix. Oh, Disenchanted. Disenchanted. Have you seen this one yet? No, I, I have not okay. yet had time. My plan is uh, my plan is to start watching that this week. Yeah, I think that'd be the good thing to do. Um, so Disenchanted, the pilot, much like the pilot for Futurama, is is labored with setting up the character and setting up the scenarios. Um, I think some things it does well is, uh, you know, much like Adventure Time or something like that, you feel like it's in a lived-in universe. And it's a fantasy world with different settings and so forth. But, however... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> however, the uh, problem is... I laugh more at the jokes of the signs in the background than what's going on in the show itself. Hmm. And I almost think... Um, in, in an interview I read, Matt Groening said... This was a show where they plotted... They focused on the story and the characters first, and then put in the jokes later... And I've heard it gets better as it goes along. Um, my favorite character is an elf called Elfo. That he lives in sort of a happy elves thing, but he wants to you know break out and be his own person. And um, a sort of chipper attitude while there's violence and stuff going around in the real world when he gets out of the elf land I think is pretty amusing. 
uh, and it certainly uh, uses um, you can tell us by Matt Groening that all the characters have that look to them. So I think that based on the pilot it has potential but I've heard it gets much better as it goes on. So um, I'll have to see and uh, I've heard it has more of a story arc over the episodes. <coughs> God damn it. Than a lot of other stuff has. Uh, what's something you've been watching? So I've been I've been talking about a lot of superhero movies, and I promise this will be the last one for a while. Yeah. Uh, but I finally saw uh, the animated uh, Batman and Harley Quinn movie. Which one? Uh, yeah, it's called it's like Batman and Harley Quinn. Okay. Uh, it's uh, came out I think a, a year or two ago. So what they it did right. it's done it's 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 sort of it's sort of an epilogue to the grand DC animated universe that began with uh, Batman the animated series and ended with Justice League Unlimited and Legion of Superheroes. They got back a lot of the creative team responsible for those shows, including you know, Bruce Timm. Uh, and and uh, you know Kevin Conroy is back as Batman in this. It's not. It is not a good movie. However, if you liked any of the shows that existed in that DC animated universe, you really should see this movie because they never state this, but clearly the point of this movie is to do everything the networks would not allow them to do on any of the other shows. Ah, okay. Is the Joker in it? Uh, Joker's not in it, but characters have sex, characters swear, people are murdered, there are gory deaths, people are set on fire and we watch them burn. Um, The Harley Quinn is allowed to be as psychotic as they want her to be. And yet, she is one of the good guys in this film. So, does it look like the old animated series? Yes, it does. The colors are a bit sharper and crisper, because it's all done digital. Yeah. But beyond that, they they've captured they've captured that old aesthetic perfectly. Yeah, the one I'm really curious about is they they um <coughs> they've only released one of the two parts of it, but they're redoing uh, Death and Return of Superman as two separate uh, animated movies. Oh, okay. Because they did one. Oh God, I don't know, like ten years ago, that was horrendous. Um, and they're doing kind of a better treatment of it uh, this time around. So. But no, that, that's neat. And um, DC, uh, it, for my money, has done a much better job with their direct-to-video animated features than Marvel has. They they have, although they 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 have quite a pedigree for that. They do, and uh, and you know I think Marvel tried like fifteen years ago to to do something that turned out okay. But they some of the stuff they just farmed out looked really cheap. I remember seeing part of an Iron Man one that just looked. Horrendous, but on the other hand, there's like an anime Wolverine that was kind of cool. So, well, you know, you know what I think it is. I think Marvel never really recovered from the collapse of their three-way deal with uh, Saban Animation and Fox Kids. Hmm. Yeah, that was real kind of a golden age for the Marvel stuff. You had uh, X Men and Spider Man and. And like the, the Silver Surfer show, which was which was the first ah, yeah. producer to that deal, is a true work of art. And then the, the the deal went sour, and their animation has never really recovered from that. They've never returned to that height, and they've never recovered from that loss, even to this day, for whatever reason. Yeah, um, although I've heard some of the uh, Marvel TV shows are pretty good, the cartoons, um, but I have have not really seen that much of them. 
All, all I know is that is that the most recent Spider-Man cartoon, Spider Ham, shows up. So I need to at least see that episode. I'm a huge Spider Ham fan. I'm wondering if we'll see Spider Ham in the uh, there's that um, CG animated feature that's coming out that yes. focuses on the Miles Morales Spider-Man, but it also is going to have a few different Spider-Man, including Spider-Man Noir. And, uh, yeah, uh, Spider-Gwen is also there. Well, since, since oh, Spider-Gwen's in it, yeah. Since they've established in, in the most recent trailer that it connects to the broader Spider-Verse, I certainly hope... Oh, wait, no, I take that back. Spider-Ham was cast. John Mulaney is playing Spider-Ham in that movie. There you go. Um, huh. So I can't imagine it's a big role, but maybe, hopefully, it'll bring home the box office bacon. Oh, I hope so. I like. I. I it, it is very interesting to me, uh, as somebody who loves the, some of the most obscure comic characters, to be living in a world where Spider Ham is going to be in a movie that's actually going to be in theaters, that people are going to see. Right, and some of the plot kind of reminds me of a, a while ago they did um, a Spider Man game they did a few of them i think for like xbox 360 and playstation 3 where you kept on zipping between like four different spider-men where you had like the the classic spider-man you had uh spider-man unlimited you had spider-man noir and spider-man i think 2099 or something hmm. and that was pretty um pretty interesting way to do it so yeah i'm curious to see how this one goes i also was reading uh, nicholas cage is cast as spider-man noir in that movie, and um, he, he said he was trying to go for a Jimmy Cagney thing with his voice, which Nicolas Cage doing that makes me a bit nervous, but it could be interesting. I just think of Nicolas Cage doing a Gumby voice in um, that, oh god, that romantic comedy he did, um, where it's like time travel and the, you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. Peggy Sue got married. Peggy Sue Got Married is a Francis Ford Coppola movie from the mid-80s where Nicolas Cage plays one of the lead roles and he decided to perform it in the voice of Gumby's horse, Pokey. For no apparent reason. Really? It's Yeah, it's a pretty interesting sort of time travel romantic comedy movie. It also has a young Jim Carrey in it and Kathleen Turner plays the lead. It's a pretty, uh, pretty amusing film. Um... I feel like that's something I'm going to have to track down now. I think so, but apparently when Nicolas Cage went on set and decided he was going to do that, nearly the entire cast revolted. But, there, you know, Nicolas Cage is a very daring actor, if nothing else, and uh, he's a man that likes to work. So that's enough about we've talked our... I think we've done our... Do Digilance, talking about Austin Powers 3 and Spider-Man and all sorts of crazy stuff. So, um, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Um, our theme song is done with Mark with a C. Check out his website at markwiththec.com. And, you can follow uh, me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. You can follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2, and one of the many ways you can listen to us is on Stitcher. Just go to Stitcher and search SequelCast2. You can listen to us streaming. It, it loads pretty fast. They have their own app. It all works out pretty well, I think. So, um, all right. Next time around, we will kick we are off... We're going to be looking at a classic series of films pulled from the imagination of George Lucas. That's right! American Graffiti. 
Yes, which has a sequel a lot of people didn't know existed. Uh, on the on the Phantom Menace uh, documentary, The Beginning, from the original DVD release, George Lucas is complaining to Frank Oz, who does Yoda, oh, well, uh, you know, I, I tried to make a sequel to American Graffiti and I didn't make a single penny. And Frank Oz is shocked and said, they made a sequel to American Graffiti? <laughs> So, no, you look at the box office of more American Graffiti, and uh, that's, he's exaggerating a bit. It did make money, but we'll get into that in the next few weeks. So, um, for sequel cast two, this oh, is Matt. We, oh, we do have a scene. I forget this every time. Okay, so who do you want to play? We've got Goldmember, Dr. Evil. I, I've done <coughs> yeah. Dr. Evil before. I'd like to do, uh, I'd like to do Goldmember. Okay, you can be gold member. I'll be uh, Doctor Evil, and then can you be number two? I can do. Num I can be number two. Okay, so uh, this is a scene we where they're sort of uh, negotiating they're in, with each other, and they're in a lair. Of course, you have to do it in the lair. So, of course, Doctor Evil, we still have the ultimate insurance policy. May I present to you the very sexual, the very tight Austin Powers Faza. His what? His father, Dr. Evil. His farger? What's a farger? His father. You know the father. You know, Goldpepper, I don't speak freaky deaky Dutch. Okay, perv boy. Father, his dad. Dad is father. Oh, his dad, his father. That's a pretty nebbish Dr. Evil right there. That is. You know, I cannot do... I'm better at doing a bad Austin Powers than uh, Dr. Evil. I decided to just go outside the box to my own interpretation, if you will. <laughs> so, well, for sequel... Sometimes that happens. I suppose. So, for sequel cast two, uh, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. Same. Daddy wasn't there. Daddy wasn't there to take me 